Welcome to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. My guests today are Tom Blakesley from What Three Words and Scott Gardner, who runs Cisco in the UK and Ireland. We're going to be talking about how technology connects people and places. We'll go from driverless tractors to drone deliveries. We'll hear about how you turn a boring commute into a highly productive experience. And we'll hear how you can help everyone from pizza deliverers to emergency services with just three words. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. My first guest today is Scott Gardner, the UK and Ireland CEO of global technology company Cisco. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Scott, I always ask um, the entrepreneurs that join us how their company started, but I always forget to ask how the major players started. Uh, where, where was that seed for Cisco? Well, Cisco started, um, you know, it was born out of a need between a husband and wife. Um, they were both working at Stanford University. And um, it's back in the days when different computer systems actually didn't talk to each other. And one was on one side of the university and one was on the other. They were worked in different departments um, and they needed to uh, be able to discuss who was going to go home and feed the cat. I see. So they were married at this time. This wasn't they sort were, of flirtation. They were, they were married. Yeah. Um, they had a cat. And it yeah. was all about, you know, who, how, do you, uh, how do you decide who's going home to feed it? So fast forward decades, you're still in the business of connecting people, right? Absolutely. Our core business is securely connecting people. Um, you know, if you look at the internet today, we estimate some 80% of the world's internet traffic travels over our equipment. Uh, somewhere, somewhere in its journey through through the net. So when you meet somebody, you know, at a dinner or down the pub or something, how when someone says, "What does Cisco do?" Is there a box you put it in just just for the layperson? It's actually one of those very difficult questions to answer, actually. But it is, you know, you, you go after. Um, it's about connecting things, um, particularly things around uh, internet-based technologies, um, and securing them, and then providing support to let people manage that and support to let people interpret what's going on uh, in those environments. And I get the very strong impression. I mean, you say as a company, when everything is securely connected, anything is possible. And I get the impression that more and more is getting connected to the web. So just give us a sense of what's almost sort of getting getting online. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, 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 it's everything. And actually, one of the most uh, stunning set of figures is out of the World Economic Forum, um, because if you look at their numbers, and it, you know there are different people's numbers on this, and but they all have the same trajectory. We think of the internet today being ubiquitous, being everywhere around us, and we all have our phones and connected. But today, there's somewhere around sort of 15 billion devices connected. Now, we estimate that probably by the end of this decade, that will be heading up to the 40 to 50 billion. By the end of the decade? Just by the end of the decade. And then going on to the end of the following decade, you're probably talking up to half a trillion. And that's because you're taking a shift from the things that are connected today are mostly people. Um, And we're going to move into a world of it being things and sensors and bits of code. And And this could be cars, it could be cows. Could be cars, could be cows, or, you know. Well, we'll get into some of those examples. But um, slightly more personally, you studied engineering at Birmingham University. You went to the Stanford Graduate School of Business. But what was your very first job? How did that all begin? <laughs> I, uh, I, my first job was uh, um, working for a local printing firm. My sister worked there. And uh, um, they just bought a computer to run their, their mailers. Um, they run a little, um, uh, they had a little uh, industry 
magazine that they sent out to the media industry. Um, and to do the mailing, um, they bought this computer. And nobody really knew anything about it. Um, my sister vouched that I knew something about computers. <laughs> Stitched you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, I, when I walked into that room for the first time, I had my little Sinclair ZX80. And, and then there was presented with something nothing like it. So, uh, and did you, um, as you were going through those early, did you have an early sense of what you wanted to do? No, I didn't. I, I, I must confess. Um, actually, computing was my hobby. Um, I didn't view it as being a career. Um, it was very much something that I did in you know my spare time, and it was a it was a great way of not having to be outside in the rain at school. Right? Yes. So it was. Uh, it was much more driven by by basics such as that. Yeah, no, this is a recurring theme on the lens, people who fell into uh, what they do. Uh, well, Cisco is a global, uh, over $200 billion company. Um, the UK matters to you hugely, I mean professionally, but also personally, doesn't it? Why is that? Yeah, I mean, I think when you um, live and work uh, in, a, in a place such as the UK, and particularly running a, a large business such as Cisco in the UK, you have to have passion around it personally. I mean, I, I live here, I've lived here most of my life, um, uh, and my family are here. And, and so in seeing the UK be uh, productive, be successful, make that step into becoming the next generation of economy. Um, you know, it matters to me, my family, my friends, um, just as much as it does to everyone else. And so I have that passion and how we how we drive that and, and particularly how we make that fair, actually, um, because there's a huge opportunity in digital technologies um, for really really uh, making sure that there is opportunity for everyone right across the UK. Yeah, and it's easy, isn't it, to get carried away on the sort of wave of innovation and enthusiasm. If we to do this responsibly, any things we need to look out for, any things that concern you about this evolution of tech? Yeah, I think, we, you know, you have to think of security as one of the big elements of responsibility. We've got GDPR coming in uh, very shortly. I mean, I think we're... Um, the the UK and Europe are setting, setting um, the standard globally for really um, some of the ways we should uh, treat privacy. I think privacy and security go absolutely hand in hand together because if we're not, if people don't have trust, which is at the heart of that, actually you're never going to be successful um, with digitization of anything you do. And digitization probably is the single largest lever in in the globe today for improving productivities of um, nations, which actually obviously leads to, you know, better outcomes for individuals. Yeah. So uh, our theme today, uh, Scott, I guess, is how technology connects people and places. So I thought we could zoom in uh, a little bit about how you're doing that. So um, an example from, I guess, your huge portfolio of work, uh, but maybe somewhere a little bit more remote than central London. We're sat here in the studio. And what, what would you point us towards? So we're just, um, we've just announced that we're going to be leading the government's um, broadband 5G uh, trial up in, uh, up in Orkney in Scotland, but also in uh, down in some of the Somerset areas, um, really sort of taking a look at how 5G um, as that concept of secure, reliable connectivity affects rural lives as much as it affects, um, you know, city dwellers' lives. Yeah, and you say the word secure and reliable. My understanding, other than a number and a letter that appear in my screen, a lot faster too. 
Yeah, a lot faster. And um, there are some other technical aspects. It's not just faster in terms of the amount of bandwidth you get, throughput you get, but also actually the speed that it connects. And actually for a lot of applications, increasingly that's important. Um, it takes internet technology all the way to the end device in a way that current mobile technologies don't quite do. Okay, so on this particular project, it uh, it says that you're aiming to create a complete rural 5G testbed system. So I want to get into the nitty gritty. Maybe we could start with a problem or two uh, that this might start to solve. Who would you be? Who, who do you have in your mind? Well, I mean, farmers are farmers are a great example. Um, we're talking about autonomous vehicles in cities, but actually autonomous tractors yes. are, uh, are uh, a big opportunity. For autonomous tractors for... are outstanding in their field. Right. Uh, to coin an old <laughs> joke there, Scott, oh. you might not have heard that one. So, yeah, so, um, but if you, if you have, you know, probably one of your principal assets as a farmer rather than your land, you, if it's going to drive around your fields autonomously, you want to know it's securely and reliably connected to um, the things that give it the information and the um, and the instructions. And a huge percentage of the UK surface area um, taken by farming. Huge percentage. And in fact, if you look at the uh, if you look at Ofcom's data, um, it's you know it's only in the in the sort of mid 60s um, is of the land mass of the UK, percentage-wise, that actually is covered by um, all of the mobile operators. Yeah. And, and so there's, there's a huge opportunity well, for Well, I can tell you, geographically, 63% of the UK, only 60% has mobile data coverage from all four main providers. That, that 37% sounds like a pretty big yeah. gap to me. Yeah, and it's, and it's in those rural communities. And we know um, the farming industry is very important to us. How do we uh, how do we improve um, how do we improve the productivity and actually how do we give people in uh, rural areas access to the technologies um, that improve productivity in, in in urban? And sorry to come at it from the negative side, but what else happens when people are disconnected when they can't get connected to what they want, what they need? Because um, that's, I guess, where the solution starts. Yeah, I mean, you have to think through. Um, uh, I think your own life. Um, increasingly, uh, more of our interaction with companies, government services, and um, friends and family has become through um, internet-based or digital technologies. Um, for those that don't have good connectivity, they start to become increasingly disenfranchised from that shift that's happening in, in the world today. Um, and that means lack of opportunity for them. Um, and it means, um, you know, lack of connection and, and lack of opportunity to generate new uh, new jobs because actually we know uh, as we move forward through digital technologies most of the future jobs probably have an exceptionally strong digital content yeah and right now you've got that sense of isolation, yeah, sense of isolation. all across the uk so i get the impression with cisco um scott that you're often working with a whole range of stakeholders and uh, in very very different types of organizations. So um, give us a sense of that, because I guess that could be anything from a train company to a council. But in practical terms, I'd love to know what you've learned about that. What you learn about it is, is to, um, the technology largely is, is a horizontal, it is an enabler. Um, the people that have those businesses understand uh, what these, what their business objectives are and how to drive that forward. Um, are 
uh, our skill, our opportunity, and how we help our customers is in help help them interpret what the technology can do for them and their business. But we don't try and be their experts in in that sense. They are still the experts in their business. You know, if you've been a farmer, if you've been a train operator, you understand more about that um, than we ever will. Yeah. What we can help show you, though, is is where the technology makes a difference, what it means to you, your customers, and your efficiency. I mean, as a commuter, one of my absolute favorites at the minute is we're working on um, super fast Wi-Fi in trains or Project Swift, originally a government-led um, uh uh, innovation project. Um, Cisco's led that. And this uh, this up in Scotland? Yeah, with ScotRail. Um, and we've been uh, introducing super fast, fast Wi-Fi between um, Edinburgh and Glasgow. Um, it's been a great opportunity to demonstrate what happens in a, to a train uh, and to the passenger experience when you go from, you know, a few meg shared between everybody on the train to several hundred megs shared yep. on the train. Well, I get the impression that, on the one hand, that's my Netflix not cutting out, but it's actually a bit more, uh, probably a bit more serious than that, isn't it? I mean, w- w- what does that then unlock? Why, why does it really, really matter? Well, you unlock the train to be a productive space in, for the, as an experience for the, uh, for the passenger. So the passenger can choose, you know, so whether you want to work, whether you want to watch your Netflix, whether you want to go shopping. Um, I would suggest, certainly on my commute, in, in, when I come into London, I probably wouldn't go and buy anything because I'd be too nervous of loading things into my basket and ex- getting a drop out and wondering whether I really bought it or I yeah. hadn't. So you turn the space into being productive. Yeah. And I guess that impacts what you do or don't do when you get home. And Ab- absolutely. Changes you know, so it changes people's lives. It changes their lifestyle at least, yeah. doesn't so it? So yeah. you can mm-hmm. choose, if it's a productive space, you can choose how you're organising your life yeah. when you're travelling. Got it. Well, and, um, ca- sorry, carry on. And I was going to say, and as well, there's... There's the wider aspects of what it means to the train operating company because today trains have a lot of information. Most of our train rolling stock is is actually relatively modern, and so they have a lot of information. But most of it stays within the train. So what, like, what do you think never goes anywhere? So what's the um, predictive maintenance information? Yeah. Taking that live off the train, even um, uh, CCTV information coming off the train for yeah. security purposes. Yeah. You know, get an alert pulling that live at high bandwidth, high definition off the train. Love it. So I have an image now of a very slow-moving tractor and a train rushing through the Scottish countryside at 140 miles an hour. Thank you, Scott. That's, uh, that's incredibly vivid. Uh, I have more questions for you shortly. Uh, my second guest today is Tom Blakesley, who works on Middle East partnerships at a company called What Three Words. We'll hear all about it, but essentially it's a UK-based company which is addressing the world, uh, providing an incredibly simple way to talk about location. We'll hear about how it does it. Tom, welcome. Thank you. Now, we're going to hear all about the company in a minute, but first, a little bit about you. Where did you start off, and can you remember your first job? Yes, yeah, so my first um, real job was actually out of um, out of school. I spent six months working for Deloitte in their tax, um, in their tax sector. Basically, what Deloitte often do is bring on um, a load of... Um, temporary uh, temporary hires in the period leading up to um, the deadlines for the tax seasons and I spent 
uh, eight hours a day, um, five days a week, uh, filling out tax returns for people making more money than I did. I <laughs> um, uh, see. So that, that was sobering, was it? Yes. And this well, wasn't their grad program. This was no, just this wasn't their grad thing. program. It's actually something they run for people just out of school, uh, many of whom are doing it between university, after school and before university. And so, I mean, obviously, I just I, I use that to sort of save up and um, uh, go off frivolously traveling around the world. But um, what it did was give me sort of a very, it put me right in the deep end of sort of big corporate life. Yeah. And um, dare I say, put put me off or um, <laughs> um, should I say it? Rather, Not it, all corporates um, are the same. And indeed, me, Deloitte's very me, innovative it, these yeah, days. <laughs> regardless, the uh, the net outcome was that it, um, um, when I came out of the out of university at the other end, yeah. um, I, I spent the first sort of 18 months sort of desperately, desperately avoiding grad schemes. I see. Okay, no, well, fair enough. But I have noticed though, just glancing down uh, your, your background, you worked in asset management, political consultancy, corporate intelligence. Crikey, sounds like James Bond listener. And uh, and a period in the British Council too. So reflections on that early bit of your career. What 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 were you looking for? So this was really just the first eighteen months out of university. I was in a very fortunate position where I um, lived in London. Home was London, um, which gives you a lot more license to not go straight into um, straight into a, a full time job and jump around in between. And um, really just trying to um, do as many different things um, as possible. Um, and um, in many ways, that's actually still what I do now, but within one uh, within one field. Yes, and I like the idea that actually on your backpacking adventures, you probably got lost on several occasions, which leads us rather neatly uh, to what three words. So I guess some of the clue is in the title, but what is what three words? Yes, so quite. So it was actually, um, I, I started working at what three words, so I initially sent them a message a couple of years ago, having just got hopelessly lost in Beirut, trying to find a contact I'd been given who had a sort of a nine-line address on his business card and uh, failing to do so. To to run you through how the, the tech works, it is, as you said, a global addressing system. We have divided the world into 57 trillion three-metre by three-metre squares, a virtual grid, if you like, and we have labelled each one of those squares using three words from the dictionary, three seemingly random words um, and what we call a three-word address. So it's as simple as saying, um, come meet me at index home raft or table chair lamp, and you have referred to the three-metre square of somewhere on the planet. Um, other than the vague street or Other than the vague street, yeah, exactly. And, and actually, and that's an important point there. Um, it's estimated, so depending on which... Um, which statistic you take, but a good one is the United Nations estimates that there are about 4 billion people yes. um, globally living without um, uh, without a formal address. So sh- uh, street name, house number, that yeah. sort of thing. And this could be in uh, houses on streets, and yet they don't have an address, to say nothing of living in a favela or something else uh, completely, I suppose. Exactly what we're doing is we're making those long strings of numbers uh, communicable. Yeah. The way that the tech actually just turns those uh, three-word addresses into uh, an underlying uh, latitude longitude coordinate um, and then that's of course what you use in your uh, your navigation systems your routing systems yeah. that's what and um, that's what all of these machines that we actually use to get around ultimately need so this is kind of like the stroke of genius like the sort of light bulb moment i think wow and actually i've looked up our little uh, studio here in london i can reveal uh, that this is laser curve buyers there you go Very laser good. curve buyers <laughs> and we hope we'll remember that but uh, actually that is roughly in the building as as far as I could find it because all of a sudden it caught my imagination. So let's zoom into some of the problems that this solves because, and uh, you know, at one extreme, you know, my pizza delivery's got 
lost. But take take us to another extreme. Where does it where does it get um where's it a real breakthrough? Where does it make a difference? On the one side we work just with end consumers, which is basically a big education piece, letting people know that this system exists, that they can and we do that via our uh, sort of a free and open app where people go on and they can actually go onto a map, zoom in, see that grid in action and go and find, as you've done, um, your three word address. Um, and then on the other side, um, in order to complete the cycle, we spend a, the majority of our time actually working with uh, businesses so that once someone has found that they live at Toffee Branch Pyramid, um, that is actually useful in the services they use. So as you said, you know, it could be as simple as you know working to um, make sure that the pizza delivery guy doesn't get lost and your, and your dinner doesn't go cold. But also um, we do a lot of work with emergency services and uh, crisis response organisations. So that's things like the the Red Cross who who use what three words um, or have used what three words in the Philippines after um, typhoons have come through. I'm just imagining someone not getting lost at Glastonbury. I mean, even this could be helpful. I'm yeah, just, Glastonbury. You know. <laughs> exactly. We actually we actually work with the um, uh, with the emergency responders in Glastonbury. Because actually, if we're thinking, um, you know, an ambulance is on its way, um, you know, that is a vehicle we don't want to get lost. Really see that. So I can really see that life-changing potential. So from pizzas to disaster relief, um, how do you focus? It's a good question. So um, our, our sort of core mantra as an organisation, we have this, um, this dual focus of doing business and doing good. Um, and there is, um, we believe and we know that we can do both. But as you said, you can't do either if you're not, um, if you're not focusing or spending your time wisely. So we what we do as a business to sustain ourselves, we work with, um, you know, those big logistics companies, um, pizza delivery companies. We actually work with car companies as well for their uh, for the voice navigation and their um, and their systems. So if mm. you fiddling around with the inbuilt sat nav um, and all of that, we basically we, we license our technology to these companies um, who are either tend to be making or saving money by having um, better location. And then for the um, for either the humanitarian work or the charity or the NGOs, those guys, um, we basically uh, package our technology up so it's as usable as possible and we let them use that free of charge. I see. Interesting. So we might come back to a sort of middle of that Venn diagram where you're making money and making a difference. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that helping people navigate in their autonomous vehicles isn't making a difference, but, but it's interesting. Um, now, Tom, meet Scott. Scott, meet Tom, uh, our guests on the lens. Uh, Scott, as Tom was explaining what three words, I could see it had caught your... Yeah, no, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a wonderful uh, way of addressing the world. Um, for me, the, there's a strong analogy for what happened in, in the internet. You know, the internet took off when we went to um, the web, when you had URLs. URLs put into plain English what had previously been numbers. So people struggled to remember 196.10.5.10, you know, but www. whatever, much easier to remember. And for me, that's applying um, the same kind of thinking to the to the real physical world as well as um you know i just just rattling through my head all yeah the, I bet. All it, the does, great it does get the mind racing do doesn't it? it so so on that um it's got any questions for tom could be could be personally could be about what three words what would you what would you ask him i think for me it's that it is that one of prioritization you know um you've got the world um you've mapped the world into a grid um you know, is there a pecking order for for location? Um, obviously, your middle, yeah. your Middle East. Yeah, so I, um, it's interesting you mentioned that actually. And um, um, as 
um, as mentioned, I spend a lot of my time working in the Middle East, and actually that's a big focus for the company because despite the fact that you have um, sort of lots of places around the world without addresses, um, uh, there are two things. First, um, we work on building uh, building ecosystems in focus markets so that once you have a three-word address and you know you want to make sure that the ambulance responder or whoever it is actually can compute that. Um, and... Um, so what we focus on are parts of the world where you have this sort of juxtaposition and this imbalance between poor existing address infrastructure and actually relatively high tech penetration. Ter- terribly obvious question, forgive me, Tom, but Saudi Arabia has a extremely powerful, young, dynamic new leader. Why wouldn't he put an address system in place? Forgive me if that sounds terribly naive. So um, there is a there is an address system in place. Um, uh, to get, uh, so, so to, to enhance the current to extent, one, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, the thing is, with um, putting uh, traditional addressing systems in place, is a very sort of costly, expensive, time-consuming um, process. Um, and then you also have to take into account the um, the future industries that we're designing these addresses for. So, as you briefly mentioned earlier, Ollie, about things like um, autonomous cars, or if we're serious about drone deliveries and voice navigation, all of a sudden. Um, all of a sudden, just giving a uh, giving a postcode or traditional address, which roughly points to the house, isn't quite um, isn't quite accurate enough. Yes, I've got an image of somebody parachuting a delivery <laughs> from Amazon Prime into my neighbour's garden. Absolutely, I mean he's annoyed enough when it's a football. So I'd love to think. <laughs> um, if more of a focus was to be on uh, making a difference, other than cash being put into the mix, anything that would really unlock that, any sort of partnerships, relationships that you would like to see flourishing? You must think about this a lot, Tom. Who would you like to work more closely with if you were just going to change even more lives? That's a very, um, that's a very tough question. There's, I mean, for us, there's a very, very long list. That's almost, uh, that's, that's my day-to-day job, <laughs> trying, to, uh, trying to get more of these guys involved. Um, I think, actually, one thing that is always difficult is working on... Um, is working on the public sector. So private sector tends to typically be, um, even with the sort of the, the mammoth corporates, tends to be much more um, agile, whereas when it comes to working with um, sort of governments for us, mm-hmm. that's where it's often a little, more of a, a little more of a black box. And you see that in the UK as well? Hard to say. I think, um, it, again, it depends on, it completely depends on the organisation or the, or the entity, to be honest. Okay. Scott, a piece um, of advice for Tom and the team about particularly that interaction. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, uh, we, we actually see opportunity, um, you know, particularly in the regions, there, there are opportunities around um, where there is a, there's, a, there's almost the coming together of, of collective interest. Uh, normally, the local authority, local business, and the principal university, possibly with some of the services in there as well. Um, and if you can get a community of interest that cares, particularly if there's single execution authority, if you look at some of the mayoral mm. um, uh, regions right now. Yeah, so Manchester, um, the West Midlands. The Manchester, Teesside coming online, you know, West Midlands. You, you know, there's that opportunity of, of intent and execution ability. Um, and if you can, you know, if the, the, 
if it's clearly good for the region, what it what it does, I think you can drive that interest um, uh, with with people. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's such think- a powerful uh, technique to play out. Um, now to uh, conclude our time together today, I've got some super quick fire questions. They're some of my favourite questions. I love to ask people, partly because I'm always looking for tips and clues. Uh, first is a book you recommend, Tom. What should I be picking up? Um, for, for me, it's quite uh, an easy one. I studied um, I studied Arabic uh, for my undergraduate at university, and um, it's something I recommend to people who um, who have really no familiarity with the region, as I definitely didn't uh, before studying. Um, and that's called Dining with Al Qaeda by Hugh Pope. It's not as controversial as the title suggests. Uh, Hugh Pope it was a um, a foreign correspondent for the Wall Street Journal. It's just a collection of stories across the Middle East. Excellent. That sounds very eye-opening. Thank you, Scott. What's on your bookshelf? Yeah, actually, I'll go on from our industry, and I think um, it's a little. It's an old book now, um, but today the technology industry is such a big thing, um, and and I'd go back to Robert X. Cringley's Accidental Empires um, that talks about the very early days of the PC industry and how Microsoft got started and and what really happened on the streets. And it's, love it. It's a fascinating read. No, this is why I asked the question so much. I'm just reading books that have only just come out, so this is why it's so interesting. Um, Scott, someone you'd love to meet for coffee, someone who inspires you. You'd just like to sit down face-to-face with them. Who would you go and see? I would... Um, I'd love to meet um, Bill Clinton, actually, face-to-face. Um, I've seen him talk a couple of times. Um, he's uh, he's a very engaging speaker. Um, and actually, just to have that coffee and just, you know... Now he can sit back and look back and reflect. Yes. You know, I, I just wonder what he'd say. Yeah, completely agree. And on his global initiative, what's Absolutely. caught his eye, what's inspired yeah. him? Tom, who would you sit down with? Um, I think the one for me would be uh, would be Jimmy Wales, who he's obviously the founder of uh, Wikipedia, but he's also doing this new venture called uh, Wiki Tribune, yes. which is trying to bring this sort of this... A global editing community to news mm, uh, an end to fake news and yeah an end to fake news or sort of i think evidence evidence backed news is yeah. i think how they yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. and he lives here it. in london so uh, maybe, maybe well yeah maybe I, I, I may just bump into him i suppose yeah just, good well let's see if we can help that happen on the lens uh, final question uh, going back to that previous self that we talked about your first ever job a piece of advice to your former self scott go back whether that's to yourself at birmingham uni or maybe even before what would you say Probably take more risks. Be bold. Um, you know, as um, as you become older, I think you you worry less about about these things. And to my earlier self, I'd say um, take more risks and uh, be probably have uh, greater self belief in the in those early days. Love it. I think terrific advice, Tom. What would you say? Yeah, I think actually, kind of following on from that um, is not necessarily committing yourself to something uh, straight up and, and really really forcing yourself to take time, especially in uh, my situation. It took me a couple of years longer than most of my peers to get through university. And very quickly in that early stage of a career, it can seem like people are disappearing out over the horizon and unattainably far ahead. But actually, um, when three years seems like a long period of time and those panicked years, you know, entering the void after university... Um, sort of down the line, even slightly, only slightly further down the line, um, it's really, um, um, yeah, so sort of definitely worth taking the time. Yeah. So make decisions, take risks, but also have patience. Okay. Uh, 
Thank you so much both for helping us to think about how technology connects people and places. Scott Gardner and Tom Blakesley, thank you very much. Time.